Hey, 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 Padlets and Troopers! Want to know if there are clients that want to keep your service for life? Are you an aspiring podcast manager, VEN producer? If so, do you want to know what it takes for you to work under world-class premium podcast agencies? Do you want to know what podcast agency owners look for when hiring people to work under them? In today's episode of the Value Podcast Show, we will be featuring one of our agency clients and we will share our personal agency story on how we got started in the podcast production industry. These are real stories told by real podcast managers Eloisa, me, and Joe Balagtas, together with our client employer, third mentor, who has been there and done that in the podcast production space. Don't miss out to this exclusive interview where we share our insights into the industry. We are so lucky to have our mentor and client, Luis Diaz, agency owner and founder, chief growth strategist at Podcast Domination, to share with us his hiring journey. In this fun-filled, inspiring session, you will learn what are the hiring factors that a podcast agency owner looks for, get Luis's thoughts on how Eloisa became one of his podcast manager turned executive assistant, in short, like a right-hand person in his business. How, as a podcast service provider, we position our service as the brand partner, not just an hourly-based contractor. Lastly, find out how Luis finds his hire as not just employees, but our integral part of his overall business model. This episode is edited and beautifully written by one of our rockstar trooper, Trisha Marie Pineda. If you are a podcaster who is having a hard time writing your show notes, and editing your episode, and you are looking for someone to add a new flavor for your content in written form and also someone to help you sound your best, then do not fret. Get in touch with Krisha. She's highly recommended. Oh, we're live. Hello! Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Padlets and Troopers, pasensya na kayo kung late kami ng ilang minuto. So, kamusta ka? <laughs> ah, eto, ah, medyo nawindang sa tech kasi just about nung magla-live na tayo, the other link na na-create natin, the StreamYard, gave up on us. We just got kicked out of sa Facebook kaya ayan, we created another link pa. But anyway, syempre, alam natin ating Elena, yung mga Padlets and Troopers natin tonight are very excited kasi nung hindi pa tayo nag-live, people are messaging us sa inbox asking about the link. So guys, thank you very much for another night that you want to spend with us kasi grabe yung topic natin today, ating Eloy. Oo nga, na ano ako, ano ba ito, nawiwin lang ako, <laughs> nakoconscious ako, kinakabahan ako, tapos sana, ano, magkakita sila ng value dito sa usapan natin tonight. Ano bang meron sa atin ngayon, si? Ano bang yeah. mga tutunghayan nila? Siyempre, ating Ella, before natin i-intro kung ano ba nang gagawin natin tonight, pasok muna natin sa stream yung another very special person kasama natin sa podcast production journey natin, si Joe. Palakpaka <laughs> naman dyan! Dapat talaga semana na tayo ng mga palakpak. Hi, Joe. Ay, baka hindi nyo nakikilala. Siya po si Joe Balagtas. Very good friend of Se and I. 
isa siya sa blessing na nakuha namin sa pagiging intern kay ano kay Natasha we are so lucky to meet good people nung naging kakonek natin si Tash. So, Joe, thank you. Thank you for spending your night. Ha. Alam ko, meron kang ano, beauty routine pagkagabi. Alam ko, lights off ka na pagka, ano, pag ganito oras. So, maraming salamat. Ano, sir? Okay Hindi makakatanggi sa mga chance. Ayan. Kamusta na ba yung mga ano natin dyan? Padlets and troopers na nanonood. Maraming salamat sa patience ninyo. I stay tuned at the very end. Meron kaming magandang-magandang surprise ha, dun sa mga nag-join dun sa post ni Isi. So, syempre, ano, let's get on to the meet na because hindi na rin ma-afford na ma-waste yung time ng very special guest natin tonight which is a world-class podcast agency owner, podcast producer, podcast consultant and very malapit sa puso namin ni John at saka ni Eloisa. He's the first person or first agency owner that trusted our capacity and our ability. Ating Eloy, sino nga ba ito? So, kaunting background lang. Uh, yung makakasama natin ngayon, started podcasting back in 2016. Then he realized that the only part he actually liked about podcasting was the recording part. And then he decided to build a team and system, allow the podcasters to do just that. And... That's how Podcast Domination was founded. Everyone, Podcast and Troopers, we all would want you to meet our the greatest of all time, Luis Randy. <laughs> oh, man. That was a great intro. Set the bar really high for me. Thanks. <laughs> and it's okay, good so to be here. How are you? I'm good. I was listening to the intro and I was like, without you, you three, I wasn't doing as good as people think comes to... Mm-hmm producing podcasts and being systematized and being organized. So first of all, I'm, I'm grateful that all three of you have been in my life. You've made a world of difference for me and my business. And second of all, I'm excited to be here. It's my first Filipino interview ever. <laughs> so I am, I'm learning the language. It's a little bit like Spanish. So I can get here and there some, some bits and pieces, but I'm here. I don't have I'm happy to be here. It's good. I do not know what to ask Luis. Girls, can you help me out? I think Eloisa just swallowed her tongue. <laughs> She's getting the butterflies in her stomach right now. And she's, despite talking to Luis every day, now she's yeah. dumbfounded. <laughs> but anyways, Luis, our first question is, can you tell us who you are and what you actually do right now? Sure. So you guys already know my name, Luis, but I am a podcast. I guess you would call a podcast producer. I help people build podcasts that from idea to concept to monetizing them and growing them. Me, I've always been hyper fascinated with how to grow audiences and how to grow followings that are very, very large and can do really, really cool things. So that's been my focus. And when I, like you were saying in the intro, when I got into this, I didn't really know much. And through that process of learning how to build shows, systematize things, organize things, and amass audiences, I've built a business around that, which is what we do now is we help people launch, grow, and monetize podcasts for short, I guess. Prior to building your, like the podcast production business, what made you decide that you wanted to build a business around podcasting? For sure, there's a special event that happened in your life or there's something that, can you share it to our audience? Sure. So I was in the health and fitness space. I was a personal trainer, uh, an online trainer, and I didn't have a lot of money and I spent more money than I had on a mentor who um, actually became our first client, which was a great investment if you look at it like that. <laughs> but he was our first client. And basically, he told me, he's like, Lewis, you're not very good at this fitness stuff. Like you're not, you're pretty much like average 
compared to everybody else. There's nothing really unique about you in the fitness space. However, you are really good at podcasting and you are really good at building, from what I see, systems. So my mentor at the time, Vince Del Monte, was the one who helped me pivot my brain from fitness and health and selling eBooks to podcasting, helping people launch podcasts, helping grow them, helping monetize them. So that was the pivot moment for me when I was 23, 24, and I spent $18,000 on a mastermind that I couldn't afford just because I knew that this mentor could help me. And I think mentorship for me, and I was on a podcast about this a couple of weeks ago, mentorship in me has been the biggest has been the biggest thing I've done to help me move my career up further and further and further. And I continue to invest in mentors today. So that mentor was the one reason why I'm here today and why I'm not doing something else random my time. So that was the moment for me. That's when I knew I needed to jump into podcasting and go all in. Luis, can we like take a little, uh, let's backtrack a little. Yeah. So before sure. you decided to put up your own podcast agency, are you doing podcast production for other people or is it just the DIYing of your own podcast show? So I did my own podcast by, I bought a $9 Udemy course and I taught myself mm -hmm. how to do it. And then I realized this is too much damn work. And I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. So I failed my first podcast. And then I started another one, which is the abs guy one you mentioned. <laughs> and I, the way I did that was like, I, I made it really, really simple. So I just took out all of the fluffy stuff. Um, the hard parts. And I just did it really simple. And then I did that for a little bit for about a year myself. And then I did it for free for another guy by the name of Ben Pakowski, who he was my first technically client, but he was a free client. He never really paid me. So I learned how to do all the agency stuff that I hired eventually all three of you to do myself by doing it all myself for one other client, which was that free client. And then eventually I started to like Vince gave me the inspiration said, okay, you should do this full time now. And then I started to hire based on the fact that I was getting more than, I just had more than one client. So that's how it started. So I did it for one other person for free and myself. And then I started to branch out and get more clients and obviously hire people. But that's how it started. I did it for free first for about nine or 10 months, which was even everybody around me thought I was crazy for doing that. Oh, like you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I faced a lot of, I got a lot of humiliation and a lot of, uh, <laughs> Oh, you know, push back from my family and friends, that's for sure. I wanted to ask some questions over at the uh, comment section, say, as we, okay. while we still have Luis on the line. Say them in, um, say them in Filipino, too, so I, I can really understand. Uh, <laughs> you know what? They type it in English. So, okay. yeah. So, for anyone is from Rowella. Uh, okay. She was asking, uh, for you, how do you maintain good relationships? Not only with <laughs> the three of us, but I think in general on your team number. <laughs> yeah. So, good relationships is important. So, every now and then I will show them gratitude. Because a lot of times I go through and I'll, I, I'm just busy and I'm not the person who shows mm -hmm. a lot of gratitude. So, every quarter or so, I mm -hmm. just take time to write messages. Take about two hours or so to write messages to everybody and tell them how much I appreciate them or highlight them in some way. So that's one way. The second way is I try my best to remember things about their family, their relationships, their things that are important to them that they're bringing up in conversations on Zoom calls. So I look at their, I ask them like, how's your son doing? Or how's your daughter doing? Or, you know, like, like I know Eloisa's daughter Ayumi, like I ask her about her every now and then, right? So look, being mindful of their family. And then the last part is actually, I give them bonuses. So I do pay them bonuses here and there whenever I feel fit. So it's not like a every month or every other month you get a bonus. It's more of like, if I've seen you working hard, 
and I haven't rewarded you in a while, I, I find it, it my duty to reward them and, and pay them extra. So that happens from time to time. So those are the three things I, to keep good relationships, that's what I do. And I don't try to, I don't ever try to yell at people, reprimand them. Some agency owners may like, you know, yell or scream or get really, really mad. I never do because the ultimately the responsibility lies with the owner. I try my best to not be an asshole either. Yeah, that's very true. Right, say and Joe, I do not remember any instances that he yelled at us or yeah. even in the form of text. I do not feel that he's mad. I think he is very, very careful of not hurting other people's feelings. And he at the most he always put a very, very motivating message on the general mm-hmm. chat whenever <laughs> there are actually if I can just share an instance that I remember. So when I was still part of PB, there's this one scenario that I think that our our client the female wrestlers, I don't mm-hmm. want to mention the name. I think yeah. they're very picky with the audiograms, the transcript that pops up on their like, creatives. And that time, it's still part of my duty as the podcast manager to do the creatives. And then, of course, because English is not my first language, maybe I have some slips and misses on the, the captions. Mm-hmm. I remember that even if we receive like, uh, email from feedback. them, mentioning yeah. yeah, feedback from them. I never felt that Luis blamed me for getting th- those misses. I feel that uh, I'm gonna cry. I feel that I know. I felt that I know. I felt that he's the one f- facing the client, and he was the one being responsible for the team members. If uh, even if that time I feel like oh this that that is just a little mistake, spelling yeah. that I, I mistake that I didn't uh, get mm-hmm. so. It was like I'm blaming myself for that miss. And I felt that uh, Luis doesn't deserve to get that feedback from the client. So I just remember that one instance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember you in the past, we've even fired clients for treating our team, treating our team with disrespect. We have mm-hmm. fired clients in the past for yeah. that because I, I don't think that's not part of their, your job to take. I think the owner's job to protect his team. So we have done that in the past where if we feel like they're just disrespectful or not right, we just... Just cut them out because it's not worth the money to lose good team members, to be honest with you. That's so nice. So nice to hear. I am going to uh, go to the comment section again. There Let's is one question from Rizzi. Rizzi was asking, because you said that you have worked for a client for free for 10 months, 9 to 10 months, I think. Mm-hmm. Was there a very uh, huge return for working with this free client? And if so, what was mm-hmm. the return? I mean, I probably got. I probably got at least $50,000 worth of business because of that client. I was strategic in picking that client to work for free because mm-hmm. he was a huge name that everybody knew. And I, what I did was I used his name to build my credibility. It's like, oh, I work with so-and-so and I produce his podcast and everybody else knows how good he is. So by doing that, they already knew that I was good, even though I was a nobody. But they didn't know that I was a man behind the scenes pulling all the strings. And he was just a talking head. So it depends, right? Because like if you have a great client like that, it's, it's your job to leverage the name in an ethical way that's not going to hurt their name, especially if you didn't sign any NDA or contract saying you can't use their name. You have to be careful with that too. But in essence, if you, you have to ask the client, hey, can I, use your, can I use your name? Can I share your name? Can I share the work we've done? Can I get a testimonial? You know, Chong, like Eloisa knows, like I'm very, very 
aggressive on that because I know those things, people look for signs of trust. Can they trust you with their money? I knew that was a big one. So I got probably more than $50,000 worth of business from that client alone. And it built my name into like, oh, like this guy is like legitimate. He knows what he's doing. He's got a great team. That was a huge benefit. The 10 months paid off way, way, way further than I had put into it, even though it was a hard 10 months. It definitely was uh, profitable in the, in the back end or in the, in the long run. Yeah. Great question I remember too, by ben. the way. Yeah. I, I remember Ben and uh, he's very, very big here in the Philippines, especially in the Fitness. what's that bodybuilding uh, uh, yeah. industry because he's yeah. uh, that dude to really follow. So I remember those days. I've got some points. I think I've got some months that I handled his show and mm. yeah. Well, anyhow, girls, do you have any other questions? Um, a question for Louise. Regarding mentorship, because uh, while I was still at TV, one of the things that I think I've learned from Louise is the value of getting mentors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like you keep on, you know, finding or I think getting connected with a mentor. Mm-hmm. I just want to understand how you are choosing your mentors. Because I, I think that's very crucial, right? you are hiring or getting the right mentor to guide you? Yeah, that's a great question. The number one thing I look for is have they done exactly what I want to do or very, very closely to what I want to do. I used to hire mentors because I like them and they seemed like I had a good system, but maybe they were in a different industry. Like maybe they were in the music industry or the coaching industry and, and that's not me. So I've made a lot of mistakes. Let me just say that. I've made a lot of mistakes before where I've hired the wrong mentors and it's cost me a lot of money. Even though they were good coaches, they didn't do, they haven't done what I wanted to do. And they were completely pushing a different ideology. So you have to look at number one, does the person or has the person done what I want to do? Like, has they, have they built a big business in my industry? Have they landed big clients like I want to land or whatever it is you want to do? So that's the first thing I do. Second thing I look at is like, how is their support set up? So is their support really good? Is it like, is it world class support or do they just give you access to a log course membership area and then they say, good luck? Like that's not the kind of coaching or mentorship I want. Do they have a huge, what's their network like? Because if I know a mentor is going to be, there's a mastermind I'm, I'm looking at entering and it's roughly $30,000 to enter. And it's not cheap by any means. But I know, and I do talking with other people, it's like if I enter this mentor, this mastermind, it's going to probably net me more than $30,000 with a business. So that money is now, it's like that's like not even a question. It's like I should do it. So number one is the person done it before. Number two, how is their support set up? And then number three, do they have an expansive network that I can tap into? I know with like Joe, Cecilia, Eloisa, all three of you have great networks of clients. Like you have, you've had great clients, have great clients now. And then also you have a great team of people who work with you that could be referred to. So you can refer your students to clients or you can get them, you can help them pay the money they pay you guys back really, really fast. So it's a no-brainer working with you three because you already have clients, you have, ext- you have relationships. And relationships is something you cannot buy if you're a stranger. So investing in mentors gives you access to their network and it gives you access to a proven system. So in short, like those are the three things I look for when it comes to mentors. Really good question, Joe. That's really a smart move, what you, what you mentioned earlier. Because initially when I, was, when I was starting in TV, that you were really spending mm-hmm. a lot of money in terms mm-hmm. of getting mentors, but realized about what you highlighted earlier about the value of network 
Yeah. Because I just remembered that some of the clients that we uh, were able to work with or that I handled before in PD were some of the people that you met on the Dude. like masterminds yep. that he attended. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those were, and there's no way I would have got those sales had I not been in that mentorship or the mastermind. So, and then that stuff pays for the mastermind in itself. So it's great. So if you're in a business where you're a service provider, like I know all of us are, then masterminds, events, places where people in your industry meet online or offline, really, really good investment. So where do you see podcasting going considering the situation we're in right now, wherein people are probably kind of hesitant in spending money? So. Yeah, that's a great question. So the there's there's certain people who are the lower middle class that are afraid of spending money. And then there's like the people who are like the ultra rich and wealthy and the bigger corporations who love spending money and, and can still afford to spend money. And the fact of the matter is that podcasting is going mainstream, which means now corporate cor- like corporations and big companies and big businesses now have a budget for podcasting. They have a budget for audio advertising. They have a budget for PR and media. That before was like, eh, is that really a thing? Is it going to stick around? Is podcasting just a fad? So they wouldn't spend money in those areas. Now it's like, okay, we need a blog, we need a YouTube channel, and we need a podcast. And that is now established as a piece of real estate that they need to have in their in their marketing funnels. So podcasting is here to stay for sure. It's one something that's getting more and more mainstream, which means it's going to be more and more, means more money is going into it. So there's more people nowadays advertising. So big corporations like Procter and Gamble and even like bigger like JC Penney's and big big retail stores are investing in like putting money into audio ads which are on podcasts so there's more money flowing into it the reason why there's more money flowing into it is because there's more people listening to podcasts nowadays so it's actually on the up and up in terms of like number of people listening number of people getting into it it's great which means there's going to be more demand for podcast producers from all over the world because at the end of the day, American, like American Northwestern, Western society, like we have really expensive prices over here. There's, it's really hard to find a good, a high quality, like assistant or podcast producer or podcast manager in a price that's reasonable over here. Just ridiculous. So the demand is going up, which means what that means is that the demand for the product, the product's going up. So the demand for workers and people in this industry are going to go up as well. So it's exciting because there's a lot of cool things going on with both advertising and podcast production. A question just popped on my mind. Since we are all service providers, you mentioned uh, earlier, when we were still in PD, we had the liberty to work with other clients aside under the agency. We are never in NDA. I just want to right. ask, because most agencies out there, they have this, when they hire people, they have this NDA, non-compete clauses. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask, why, why did you allow us to work outside PD? Or why, yeah. why is it not an, a barrier or something? Right. So I don't know if we had it when you were around, Cecilia, but for sure for us now, we do have contracts that all of our team members sign. Mm-hmm. So some of mm-hmm. it is, a lot of it's around confidentiality, meaning like you cannot mm-hmm. share the, the private information of our clients to anyone mm-hmm. outside of our organization. So we do have those provisions now. We also have some provisions around who they can and cannot work with. But in terms of like for Eloisa knows, it's like she has other clients and I don't mind. I don't mind if people have other clients. For the U.S., there's tax implications if you say if you were a real employee without like and I'm your sole source of income, there's higher taxes for me as a business owner. So that's why we don't want to do that. We want to have 
typically people as, as what's called 1099 contractors, or it's something else if you're overseas, but an employee to reduce the taxes. Uh, I believe it's also the, you would, you would also get taxed. So you as the mm -hmm. employee would also get taxed by the U S government. So there's benefits to us, to you and I, the only thing we do now sign is have them to have people sign like a contract to say, Hey, we're not going to share any information that could potentially hurt our business or our clients because we want to keep that stuff confidential. But yeah, there's no problem with people working other jobs. I, I think it's cool because I get to learn from everybody else's clients. Like I ask a Louisa, like what's working with your other clients sometimes? And she can share with me some strategies that they're using and that's fine. So that's, that's totally cool. It's more about the keeping like their sensitive personal information safe, you know, obviously, because there's you can get in trouble if you're not. Yeah, I remember we, we were asked already to sign something, but never really reprimanded that you are not going to, you are not allowed to get other clients other than right. PD. Yeah, no. So the very thing that is very emphasized on that contract is really the private information, like the login. Of course, mm -hmm. we have the statistics or anything that will hurt the brand of podcast domination. We are not allowed to use that. That's right. why I use Louis. I ask him, hey, can we use you? So right. I'm, right. he's okay with that. Yeah, but I did during the, I think the process, it's very, very important that a lot of Filipinos also understand that this is not really common practice for some. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, Louis was very, very, he wanted to protect us also for in uh, the future implications for ourselves. But he never reprimanded us to get any other clients. But in my case, I personally do not work with people that I know is going to be a direct competitor for Louis. So I make it like a conscious effort not to be associated with other podcast right. agencies. Yeah, good point. Because some people will make a standard practice, but if they're going to make it standard practice, they better be paying you enough to make it worth your while, mm -hmm. right? That's one thing to keep in mind. Like if, if, if in a time, there may be a point in time where I hire full-time employees, but right now I don't feel it's the best move for us. But that time may be coming. We, we'll see. For some businesses, it makes more sense for them to hire exclusively and have you as an employee. Other ones, they don't. It just depends on your preference of like, what do you want? More flexibility or do you want a stable source of income from like one provider? Or one person, and that's it. Good point. Seth, do you have any more questions yeah, I, to ask? I think or? Reggie's asking, can you share with us one unforgettable challenge or learning curve you and your team experience? I think there's two that come to mind. One is just more of a technical thing around like how to how to systematize and automate the flow of like getting clients information and audio stuff into our, our team's hands. That was a big one figuring out how to use zap like automation tools and triggers so that we get all the information pulled in and the client has everything that we have everything we need from the client without going back and forth. I'm sure a lot of you, all three of you understand that how much of a pain in the butt that is. So that was one automating the flow of information from client to the agency in a seamless manner so that we both, everybody had everything they need. And then the second was, I think for us, we, tr we tried to outsource some of our work to another agency at one point. And when that was a huge unforgettable challenge because I realized that there's certain things you can't outsource and there's certain things you can. So I learned the hard way as to what you can and cannot outsource, which was unforgettable for me because during that three-month period, or I think a three, four-month period, we had so many issues with this other company. The takeaway I learned from that is, is literally kind of what I just said. Like there's some things you outsource 
which are okay to outsource. And there's other things that you cannot outsource. And we crossed that line, but we learned and we came back and, and did it in-house, all of our production work. So that was, that was one unforgettable thing is learning, out, learning about what you can and cannot outsource in your, in your business. There's certain things you can do and certain things you can't. I think that was probably the, the two biggest ones. That learning curve. I remember those months. It was those a cold, tough. cold three months. Right, <laughs> yeah. Joe? It was cold. It's really, really yeah. Yeah. But we learned a lot from that mistake. But, but we're mm-hmm. still here. And I'm so proud of Lewis. PD is growing and getting better and better. So have you ever let a client go because you think that their content is not getting any traction? I don't think so. I think usually the client, like it depends on who the client is and what their goals are. Because I have some clients who don't care about traction per se. And that's not the majority. There's a few that do it for other reasons, right? And they keep on doing it and they love it because it's serving mm-hmm. another, another purpose that they mm-hmm. find important. I've never let any client go because their show isn't getting any traction. To be honest, I have seen clients leave because they're like, oh, like our podcast isn't as good as we thought. And usually we've been trying to tell them like, oh, Maybe you should change this. Maybe you should do this instead. And they just don't listen or they want to do it their own way. And for clients like that, that just don't want to listen and take feedback and and grow, then it's on them. It's not on us as the agency. We cannot um, force clients to change. So in that case, they just leave on their own. Um, Okay. From Angel Adriano, it's more of the pricing stuff, but Mm -hmm. maybe you can give an overview. Yep. I have gone, I've studied a lot about pricing because pricing is one of my favorite things to mess with in my business, to be honest with you. I'm always changing prices and like figuring out what works. So there is, there's a lot of good books on this, Angel. So I would say do your homework and look at some really good, there's some really good pricing books out there on Amazon. Just type in marketing, pricing, like I think of some good books, but I, I know there's a lot of good books out there on how to price your services. How I do it is nowadays, since we have a, a partner who's much who's got more experience in this, I rely on my partner for this. But for example, we just increase our prices for one sole reason. And that reason is because we want to basically position ourselves for the type of clients we want to attract. We want to mm-hmm. attract premium clients. They're not going to, they're not going to want to spend $500 a month on podcast production. They're going to think that is way too cheap and they're thinking they're mm-hmm. not going to get the value. So we have increased prices. We've increased our prices by a lot to portray a sense of value when you also have really increased prices, there's something called basically a perceived guarantee. So there's a perceived guarantee that you're going to get a lot of value and a lot of great service because the price is higher without even making a guarantee. Because you buy a Bentley, you think that you're going to get really, really high quality car, a really high quality car that's going to be amazing. It's an inherent guarantee. There's, there's a, there's, so there's a little bit of psychology behind it too. So price your services on the type of customer you're, you're going after. If you're going after people who are looking for a bargain, you're going to try to price lower. If you're going to go mm-hmm. after people who want to buy Bentleys and they, they're used to spending a lot of money, you're going to want to price your services higher because if you price them cheaper, you're going to actually look to the person as inferior. We've now priced our packaging higher than we have in the past. Uh, and then there's always the middle tier where it's like you try to appeal to, appear to everybody where you have like a number, a large number of prices, like four, five, six different pricing packages. And in that case, what I find is that the problem with that is you get people who are all over the place. You have some high mm-hmm. premium clients and then you have some really like not always paying the butt, but usually paying the butt clients that are paying you less. And you either want to go with one of them or the other. It, it's up to you which one you want to go with. It's up to your personal preference. It's just a matter of pers- like your characteristics and your personality. That's a little bit on pricing psychology. I hope that was at least helpful mm-hmm. in the sense. In terms of margins, you, 
for an agency, a healthy margin to shoot for is between 55 to 60%. So basically your work, your labor costs should be around 45 to 40%, 45 to 40% of your, um, yeah, of your price. That's okay. number. It's not always going to be possible, but you want to try and shoot for that at all times. Yeah, okay. I would say normally like, you're pretty expensive if you have a 40% margin, a 40% mm-hmm. cost, meaning you're mm-hmm. making 60% revenue or 60% profit so yeah maybe a little bit more closer to 45 percent labor costs and 55 percent gross profit because at an agency you have a lot of other things you have to worry about marketing <laughs> admin services software etc tax taxes exactly one more louis in here i just wanted to ask because i am also wondering kate was asking do you guys work with people in a specific niche if so how did you get to choose such niche because i remember before when we were starting out mm-hmm. louis i i don't yeah. know say if you also um noticed that most of the, our clients are from the fitness industry <laughs> yep. yeah and yeah. then right <laughs> now our <laughs> clients are from everywhere Mm-hmm. from different mm-hmm. industry now why are you not working with just a specific niche right now because i know i can help so many more people that's for one thing like i, don't, I wouldn't turn somebody away if they're a seven-figure financial publishing mm-hmm. company i'm like no i can help you i can help you blow it out the water so i'm confident <laughs> in my ability to help a large number of people because the systems and the marketing the marketing behind how you market a fitness podcast and how you market and grow a say a financial publishing podcast or a nonprofit podcast is pretty much the same. I've seen agencies do this where they niche down. I don't mm-hmm. because I just feel like there's no point for me. Yeah, I, we started out in fitness because I was a fitness guy. So all of my mm-hmm. friends who wanted podcasts were fitness guys. But I just don't because I'm looking for a type of a caliber of person, a type of person who has a specific set of needs, wants, beliefs about themselves, beliefs about their business, which usually is a person who's making seven figures plus and wants to build a big personal brand, et cetera, et cetera. Not so much slicing and dicing the audiences or the people by what industry they're in. Because I have mm-hmm. multiple clients that have sim- are very similar, but they work in different industries. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather work with those type of people instead of this one type of industry, mm-hmm. right? So that's just my personal preference though, but there's mm-hmm. nothing right or wrong about mm-hmm. say, like I've seen a podcast agency that they do just law firms. Law mm-hmm. firms typically have a lot of money. They typically have a certain, a very specific avatar too. So if you, if you find yourself in a very cool niche like that, then there's no reason you can't start there and see how it works out. Kate, I hope that helped. What I take away from that is Louisan's not really big on the niche right now. I think what he's trying to do is get the 1%, the best 1% of all the yeah, chunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's where his head is right now. I don't know. Right. Maybe, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I, I'm so some people can like you can have it, you can like you can kind of pick your avatar, your ideal customer by the industry. That's one way to do it. I pick my avatar by the type of person they are, the type of beliefs they have in their mind about spending money around their business, around how they want to impact the world. So all of my best clients have those very similar beliefs, methodologies, or you know, characteristics. And that's who I want as opposed to just working with fitness guys. Because I have some great fitness guys and I have some horrible fitness guys that I know. And I don't want to just pigeonhole myself into that. Luis, if ever you have an advice to anyone who wanted to dive into the podcast production niche, what's your best advice? 
my advice is that the market is commoditized, so you have to find a way to make yourself stand out. I did that by focusing on helping people grow and monetize because that's never going to go out of style. Figure out a way to make yourself different because the market, anybody can edit audio and make cool graphics, but how you set yourself apart from others is what's going to get people to buy and stay with you. So differentiation in the marketplace is the most number one important thing to building a successful business in this niche. All right. So, uh, Louis, uh, where can people find you? Instagram at Louis Ryan Diaz. Feel free to shoot me a message, a personal message. Uh, if you guys haven't had my book, I'd love to give you guys my, my book. Eloisa knows how to get my book. So thank you very much, Louis, for the inspiration and the opportunity that you're, you've been able to impart to me and Eloisa and Joe. And I hope also for the people who watch us tonight, so thank you yeah, very it, much, Louis. It reciprocates. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, sir. And, and Eloisa and Joe, you've all been amazing parts of my life. So thank you all. Thank you for the people asking these questions. Those are all amazing questions. So I really appreciate the questions. So <laughs> okay. thanks, everyone. Thank you, Louis. If you are now ready to kickstart your podcast production career, I invite you to download our free podcast production service guide, our ValuePod Skills Kit for you to be able to identify the skills you need to have to be able to start offering your podcast production service just go to bit.ly forward slash valuepod skills kit again it's bit.ly forward slash valuepod skills kit